quarter. So there's a risk in launching brands too soon. And to be honest, we launched our brand too soon in a number of big department stores. And surprisingly, we, we are still there. But I say it's only because they want this brand to succeed because of the impact that they get to have as a result of selling it. You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. and welcome to episode eight of producing with purpose if you are a returning listener once again thank you for your support and if you're a new listener i really hope you love what you hear today and i tell you this is a great episode for you to come and get started on before we get into it though just a quick request if you do enjoy what you hear today please head over to apple podcasts and leave us a review a star rating or a written review either is great Or just share the podcast if you're listening to it. Take a screenshot, chuck it up on your stories, tag your mates or tag people who you think would benefit from this show. The word of mouth is the greatest builder of momentum for this. And it's really appreciated any support like that that you can give. I'm really happy to have today on the show James Bartle from Outland Denim. Part of that is a personal achievement. When I had the concept for this podcast and I was writing a list of the guests that I would like to speak to, James was high up on that list. So to have him in the first 10 episodes really made my day. It was awesome to have this conversation. And you'll also hear as well, I've got a co-host on this episode, which is my co-founder and designer of No Skin, Ash Pierce. So before we get stuck into that, I will just give the quick update on No Skin, which those of you who have listened before know I do at the beginning of each episode. So it's been a crazy couple of weeks. We're getting everything ready. We're getting everything shipped just for the first soft launch that's happening in March. So as we've talked about before on the show, we do offshore manufacturing, some of it in Brazil and also some of it over in China with factories that Ash has been working with for years now. But in China at the moment, we're coming up to the important time in their year, which is Chinese New Year, where everybody really just takes quite a long break off of work and things shut down from anywhere from two to four weeks. So as you can imagine, with somewhere that's such a global manufacturing hub, this means a crazy rush of everybody trying to get their last minute things shipped or created or prototypes made, everything like that. And for us being a smaller brand, we don't really get to the top of the pile. We have to sort of scramble our way through. And in this case, it was a desperate attempt to try and get our products shipped before that cutoff of Chinese New Year. So I'm actually waiting for an email to confirm if that happened any minute now. And then I can relax or it's another problem that we need to solve. And if that's the case, I'll tell you about that in the next episode. But all the logistics aside, that does lead into something that ties nicely into today's conversation. And that's what happens now. As we get ready for a soft launch in March, we have to start thinking about how we're going to publicize this product, how we're going to tell people our story, how we're going to encourage people that what we're creating is really going to add value because it's got the underlying ethics, it's got the overarching style, and it's something that we really think people are going to get around. But we need to get it out there. We need people to know about No Skin. And James is an amazing person to speak to when it comes to getting publicity out there for your brand and spreading a message. Now, Outland Denim have got an incredible message and they work on an incredible project. They are a social impact brand and they employ women who have been victim to the sex trade or from human trafficking, which I was shocked to find out prior to this interview is a $15 billion industry. 
So James has got damn good reason to be out there all the time doing publicity, podcasts, editorials, getting on news sites, absolutely everything. This guy is omnipresent. And it's amazing to see when he's got such a strong message as well. But I wanted to talk to James about how that also impacts the brand, how it impacts sales, how getting out there has really lifted Outland Denim to go from strength to strength, all the way to even having Meghan Markle wearing their jeans, which was a huge boost for the brand. So with all of that, let's get stuck into the conversation. Again, if you enjoy what you hear today, please like it, share it, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And again, thanks for your support, and I hope you enjoy the chat. So, James, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having you here today. Um, oh, so, it's good to be with you guys. Yeah, quick note as well, um, as you're aware, as we've just been talking, but I'm also joined by a special co-host today, which is Ash, who is the co-founder with me of NoSkin. Um, we often kick off producing with purpose by jumping straight into some of the business and operational side of things, um, because you know there's a lot of stuff that we can find out on the About Us section of your website, and it's information that's readily available. But I really want to actually step a little bit into the cause first off, because with the work that Outland are addressing with sex trafficking and human trafficking, it's absolutely shocking, which you'll tell us more about in a second. But to be honest as well, my research leading up to this episode revealed just how shocking it is. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. Um, So just before we get into that business and upside of things, can you just give a bit of an overview of what Outland are fighting for and some of the key facts about it? Yeah, sure. Well, look, we're fighting against a $150 billion industry, you know, where, um, you know, there's 40 odd million slaves in the world today and every one in 130 women is a slave, you know. So it's it's a really big issue and it's one that um, we need to have a sense of urgency around. And I guess um, our brand is set up really to meet this need, to meet the need of our vulnerable women around the world. And for us, it started in Cambodia. It was um, to address, you know, the the very obvious in your face poverty that was there, which was the root cause of making uh, women vulnerable in the first place. And so it was very obvious that, you know, we needed an economic solution. And our our solution was to be able to give training, education, all the tools that these people needed to be able to be successful themselves. But you know, it's a um, it, it's a I guess the naivety in the beginning that that gets you through. Some of those things, you, you don't realize what you're stepping into, stepping into a market for us as denim, um, the most competitive market in fashion. And it's and it's one of the most difficult products to produce. And um, I had no idea of any of this at the beginning, yeah. but you really were driven wanting to just create um, a different future for these kinds of people um, all the way around the world, not just in Cambodia. Yeah, amazing. It, it really is. Those numbers are shocking and I'll, uh, I will link to, and I'll ask you actually as well um, after this, if you have any key informational resources or anything that you'd like us to link out to so people can do a bit of their own reading. I know I'll be doing a little bit more as well. Sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no worries. And as you say, yeah, and it's, you know, daunting as well, hearing somebody who's doing it and doing it well to express how challenging that can be. So we know that we've got our work cut out ahead of us as well as we move into denim amongst other products as well, just to keep increasing the challenge. So producing with purpose is about for-profit businesses um, that are pushing for positive impact in the same time, exactly what you're doing with Outland. But I know that you didn't actually start your journey as a for-profit business and you started off in the not-for-profit space. Um, so tell us a little bit about that transition from a not-for-profit to a for-profit and the 
you know, the harsh reality really of would you say that you regret starting off as charity status? Do you think that slowed things down? Yeah, look, it's a that's a really good question. It's one I'm passionate about. I um I think I started on this journey with this bleeding heart. I I remember landing in Thailand and being taken by a rescue agency to walk through and see the challenges of this industry, the the human trafficking and the sex trade industry. And, you know, um witnessing a, a little girl for sale that night um, was one of those um, life-changing moments that you realise that, you know, like I want to fight for her and I want to fight for those other young ladies around the world that, that find themselves in this position. And so when you start from a place like that, um, you, you're given a superpower that um, often other brands may not have, you know. Um, it's something to fall back on in, in the tough times of, um, creating that, I guess, generating motivation to continue on. Um, you know, the space itself and generating generating these kinds of opportunities um, in in this industry in particular um, is highly challenging. And we we um, have made, I reckon, nearly every mistake that there is to make in setting our business up and our manufacturing yeah. facilities. Um, and and so I think just moving forward, um, you know, I think I've drifted away from your question there. But <laughs> um, moving forward as a, as a um, brand, sorry, moving forward as a brand, there is, um, I guess it's it's built on these foundations, which really I guess is what I want to highlight is that it's it's knowing why we exist as a as a um, for profit business now um, is no different to why we started as a not-for-profit, you know, yeah. as a not-for-profit, um, you know, it was because of the bleeding heart that we set it up. We felt it was the most purest form of being able to set this kind of business up, um, realizing it was really difficult to fund, um, to, to um, attract the capital that would be needed to be able to be successful in this um, was, was really difficult. I was running another business um, and, you know, it was just, it was killing that business because it drained every bit of money out of it. You're always got your hand out asking for somebody for a donation. And then um, when I got to where I realized I couldn't grow it and I had to close it um, and I went back out into the market as a um, for-profit and I attracted investors and those investors came on board and it was the best decision that I ever made. You know, it, it took our business from been a good cause to a business that could genuinely have a huge impact in our industry. And so um, whenever I speak to somebody who says they want to start up a not-for-profit, I would often say there's already heaps of great charities out there that need our support and there's nothing more pure than giving your own money away rather than somebody else's. And so um, a business um, a business that exists to address the, the needs of you know our world, um, planet or humanitarian needs, um, that does it out of its own profits is is the ultimate. Well, yeah, I guess it has more of that potential to grow as well, like maybe more so than a not-for-profit. Um, that statistic that you said was really interesting, um, one in 130 women. Like why did you decide to set up the factory where it is? Like is that just because like you, you knew it was more of a prevalent um, issue there or it was like an easier place to actually do what you wanted to do in terms of the garment manufacturer or...? Yeah, it wasn't there wasn't a whole heap of strategy behind it. I um I landed in Thailand and had that experience seeing that young girl for sale and continued through Thailand and you know saw the issues that were sort of in the darker places and 
um, went into Cambodia and saw the poverty. And it was so far behind Thailand and it just met mm-hmm. people and challenges that they face and, the, you know, the devastation that the country has um, suffered over the past uh, 40-odd years. And it was just really clear to me that it was this was the place to do it. They had a garment sector and the sector is quite a uh, – it adds a lot to the GDP in Cambodia. And so it was something they understood, something they valued, um, and it just made sense that this was the place to do it and so we chose uh we chose denim and we we started with just a couple of young ladies too i'm not sure whether you can see behind me there's a yeah i love that picture yeah it's one of the very first girls that we employed and you know she went on to um create so much change in her own family and her own life and um works with us still to today 10 years on and you know it's a um i think it's just a uh cambodia is a is a place full of these incredible people that just want something better and we're able to help on that journey for as many as possible. Yeah, it's beautiful. And like just imagining that flow and effect, because I imagine it would be like frustrating as well, like wanting to grow the business and like affect more people, but you need to remember that, yeah, you need to like teach that lesson and people carry that forward. And it's just, yeah, I love that. I was just going to ask, how did you actually go about, what was the next step when you, you thought, I really want to do this. This is an idea I've got. This is how I feel like I can make an impact. How did you then go about, actually getting a location there, finding people. What what does that even look like to start that process? Yeah, well, look, I mean, um, I partnered with an NGO, uh, a group that was um, specializing in the identification and rescue of these of these girls. And so it made sense to start with them. You know, we just started sending money over to their sewing teacher to start teaching some sewing skills. Um, went to the market and we bought denim from the local market and, you know, I said, make me a pair of jeans. And, you know, I'll never forget the moment trying to put a pair of jeans on. You know, I had such high hopes that they were, they were going to be, you know, this beautiful, this beautiful product. And, you know, my heart sank as I put them on. That was the first realisation that we had um, started on something that was going to be really difficult. I think to keep in mind too, you know, back then um, there was no power in a lot of the villages where these people were working. So we were literally making an entire jean with one single needle sewing machine. That makes me sweaty thinking about it. Put. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Totally. And so, it, you know, it was a pretty unique way to make a pair of jeans. But what we did is we taught that they, they were able to. Today we're a lot more sophisticated in our production facility, but um, back then it was it was in the dirt. I was actually going to ask that question. I was wondering, like, do you source the fabric? Is the fabric actually made there as well or are you looking at importing it or is it all on site? We import all our fabric out of Turkey from a um, mill called Bossa. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's you know, it's been really important to us to align with the right suppliers, and so that takes a long time and building the relationship over a long time to to trust, I guess you know, other standards that they have themselves and the way their employees are treated. But then to get the qualities, and you know, for us it was really important to have um, plant based um, dyeing in everything that we could possibly use it in, um, and and then just the kinds of chemicals that we used in the processing as well. So. You know, really that evolved for us from, yeah, being in the dirt with a single um, needle sewing machine to now having two facilities in Cambodia. One's a finishing facility where, you know, we have the latest technology available for like laser washing and um, ozone and e-flow machines. And, um, you know, we're able to reduce water and the environmental impact of our products is um, reduced as much as it's possible to reduce. Yeah, right. That was, I feel like I'm taking over the conversation a little bit. I'm like, oh, and so how'd you do this? Um, so with laser washing, um, I listened to something that you said about using like laser stone wash, which I hadn't ever used before. And I guess 
I mean, having your own business is something I'm excited for with our business is that I don't have all these kind of price constraints because I feel like even in all the big businesses I've worked in, there's a lot of greenwashing. It's all like there was never like actually a sustainability officer kind of going, this is the, like, we want, yeah, we want the sustainability factor because, you know, it's you know, good marketing, but uh, we you need you to keep it under this price. And like laser washing, those things are yeah, a bit more expensive. Yeah. So I was just, yeah, I mean, yeah. for you to have those facilities like in your own factory, like I find that really, that's fucking great. Like that's really progressive. Yeah. I mean, look, it's very expensive as well. Um <laughs> To have it, I mean, if you were to you boil it down to, you know, the cost per wash for us, it would be astronomically high. Um, but it's important to us because what we found is it was really difficult to get anybody who was going to wash to the standards that we required. Um, you know, it's one thing to have a, a great marketing story, but the other thing is you've got to sleep at night. And, you know, we want to know that we're doing the best. Hey, we're not perfect. And I think it's important to point that out. We're not perfect and we're on a journey to, um, continue to innovate and develop different methods of pr- creating product that that elevates the the people, um, but leaves the planet in a better position. That's ultimately the goal, isn't it? You know, well, rather yeah. Than- well, you've got a lot of goals though, as well, because obviously, like, do pe- are people willing to pay those higher prices? Like, if you can sell more denim, you have you know more ability to employ and to like kind of give jobs in that aspect, but also. Do you find that people are willing to buy your denim for the sustainability aspect or like which, you know, which one is like, I guess yeah. you don't know. Like, I mean, or is there a way to find out? we've got indications of, you know, we would, we would assume um, based off of some surveying that we've done that, you know, up to 80% of the people who probably are quite heavily involved with our brand would say that they're the humanitarian side of what we do. Um, there's a lot of noise in the environmental sustainability space. There's a lot of greenwashing. Nobody knows who or what to trust. Um, and and to be to be honest, I mean, those brands are actually a bigger problem than any other brand. Oh, and even like like places um, like H yeah. and M, they're like they they've jumping on. They're using BCI and recycled and you know all the things, but like they're still right. producing landfills of fashion. Like it's not really addressing the key problem. And people think, oh, I'm buying you know this is that, but it's yeah, it's. I think I think the the ultimate solution um, in my mind is consumerism. You know, this is the way we're going to be able to challenge these kinds of issues that we face today is um, through buying more. Um, now, you know, when I say that, you know, I often get these, these dirty looks across the screen. But um, what I mean is that I, fast fashion, yes, has a huge um, negative impact on people. It has a negative impact on the planet. Slow fashion has a positive or a, a yeah, positive reduced impact on the planet, um, um, but a really negative one on people. And so um, our brand is really committed to thinking about these two things together. Really, we think about it's a triple bottom line. And I think everything that we do, we need to consider that. We need to consider the impact on people, planet, and the economic impact. Um, you know, the economic generating profit, that's 33% of the equation, but it's only 33% of the equation. And so I think when you think about your business through that lens, it makes the, it puts it into context as to where the time should go as well, where the resource should go. Um, and rather than creating these um, marketing campaigns, which are, are based on manipulations um, of um, truth, it, it's, it's really just slowing down our industry and getting to a place where consumerism becomes the answer. I hope you're enjoying the show today. And if this is inspiring you to go over to the Outland Denim website and check out the products they have available, then when you check out, you can use the code PRODUCINGWITHPURPOSE10 to get 10% off of your order. 
And of course, don't forget to check them out on Instagram and wherever you follow so that you can hear more about what they're doing. Thanks for supporting Outland and all the other brands who are producing with purpose. Uh, so one thing I did want to ask you about as well, and it's actually you know exactly related to what we're doing right now, is that I've seen you more than a lot of people in the industry do a lot of press. You do a lot of interviews, TV appearances, you're on news channels. There's there's a lot of you to research and a lot of you to find out about, which is awesome and definitely made my job easier. Uh, now, obviously, Outland is is actually quite an advocacy-heavy organization or company. You know, you're getting a message out there, and that's important. Um, but do you also think that you're seeing a good uplift in sales and growth in that area, you know, on the bottom line by doing this amount of publicity and press? Or is it primarily for the awareness and advocacy? Obviously, the two go hand in hand. Um, you know, ultimately, the impact is, um, is funded by sales, um, so sales are really important. Press is important in that. Um, brand awareness is, is so important. Brand awareness is hard to get. Um, you know, earned attention um, is difficult. And so I think that we've got an easier job than many brands in today's world in getting cut through. Um, you know, I, I'd say to any brand or any business um, that the greatest thing that I think you're going to be able to ever do to get cut through in a cluttered space like this is be authentic. Um, and, and if you're not authentic, um, it will show. And there's already many non-authentic brands out there that are doing exactly what we've just talked about, you know, with the greenwashing. And it's just, it's not true. But I think um, I think the press that we do and, um, you know, the, the message that we're trying to share is, is um, yes, benefiting the bottom line. But ultimately, it's about education. It's about taking people on the journey with us, you know. And that's easier said than done too. How do you communicate in a way where people are able to receive it and hear it um you know um by nature i'm i'm I'm, i want to get out there and i want to scream from the rooftops like this is going on we should do something about it but the reality is if we take that approach then um it's people put a wall up and and you don't actually have the ability to communicate effectively with people and so really what we need to do is we need to demonstrate that there's a better way and we need to make it accessible for people to be a part of it um it's my job as a brand owner to go how do I make my product so accessible um, that people can get it easily, that people can return it easily, that the product is so beautiful they want it just for the product, but the cherry on top is that it aligns with their values, um, that they can trust it. And the the press, the publicity that we get is all just a part of building that in, in for people to be able to see what's behind the brand, the authentic, the authentic desire to be able to create change. No, absolutely. And that actually ties into another question I've got where you say it's about getting it in front of people. And that's one of the key things. And I think it's been a big thing for us in our consideration of when we grow our brand is we want to do a lot of things from that ethical standpoint, from the sustainability, from the vegan standpoint as well. But first and foremost, mm. we're here to make amazing garments that people really love and they get stoked about the brand. And then on top of that, they feel happy to come yeah. back because they know that they're actually making a positive contribution along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so also that, yeah, that ties into about really getting everything out there, be it yourself or the products and your presence in major department stores, which is, you know, it's amazing to see. I'm, I'm sure you're you know, pretty, pretty stoked to go out there and see your clothes being in places like Nordstrom's and things like that. What started is that yeah. first pair of jeans coming from the factory that must feel really amazing. Um, 
And it's something we've discussed, yeah. you know, it would be great to think in our 12 to 24 month plan is how can we actually start getting things into stores? How can we start wholesaling a little bit? But it's a tough call whether you do that or you focus on direct to consumer sales. And for you guys, obviously, there's an element of exactly what you say. The more we get this out there and we get it in front of people, that actually spreads the message. So you've got that driver behind it as well. But if you were doing Mm -hmm. this purely from, I suppose, a bottom line perspective, and it was less about the advocacy as well, do you think you would still operate in that model? I do. Um, You know, I'm I'm really passionate about bricks and mortar. I don't ever want to run a store myself. Um, I'm a terrible salesperson, but, (laughs) but but I love it. I think it's it's it it helps form the fabric of the community. You know, it's really important. You know, what they say one in six people on the face of the planet works in the fashion industry. You know, and and to me, I mean, that's from farm to retail and everything. So it's a really important industry. Um, but it's also an industry that, um, and I'm getting to your point, by the way. But it's, <laughs> it's an industry that um, <laughs> it's an industry that that um, I think. Um, gets a, a lot of bad attention, um, and rightly so, but it's, it is an industry that could be celebrated, that people could feel really proud of what they're wearing and, and we could celebrate the, the creative aspect to fashion um, along with the impact of fashion. And so um, retail, bricks-and-mortar retail, are able to um, exp- help designers brands express that they're able to communicate that to customers in a really tangible touch and feel kind of a way and um they're able to communicate your brand story for you and yes we've got the digital realms of um advertising for sure and they're so so important and i would say that if you don't have that you don't survive absolutely but imagine having 50 nordstrom stores with with um, sales associates in every one of those stores, um, knowing all about your brand, being committed to your brand, loving your brand, loving your product. Product is the key. It's actually the key in, in any of it. Um, communicating that for you every day of the year. And now you've got this digital beast underneath that, which is operating, which is doing these customer acquisitions every minute, you know, and a new customer's coming in, you're bringing them in and you're communicating it because they've been into a store and they've heard about it and they've felt the product and now they're coming across your channels and you're converting them. I mean, it brings that um, acquisition cost down um, because, you know, they're partway through the journey. Um, I now see it online. We target them with an ad. Um, you know, it, yeah. it, it's... How can you be sure? Of, um, I was just gonna, sorry. I was just going to say, how can you be sure? Like, like you're talking about, like the sales associates pushing your product and that kind of thing. Like, how can you be sure that that is happening and that your product isn't just kind of sitting at the back of a rack, like amongst all the other denim products? And like, I don't know. Like, is there a way that you can push your business? Do you think that they advocate for your product more so because of the integrity of what it's about? Definitely. You know, like I've got sort of. You know, the products that we put into the market, you know, um, when we first launched were so embarrassing. Now that you look back, at the time you thought they were there, but then you're like, we've, and we've had these guys, we've had retailers back us, help us develop and evolve and sell our product. You know, I've sat in um, uh, meetings with uh, in Canada with retailers where they'd bring their, their sales teams together and I'd present like a normal, you know, um, showing where we're trying to, you know, convince them to sell our product over the competitor's product. 
which they get every day. So you bring in your coffee and donuts or muffins and, you know, try and yeah. win them over that way. Um, but for a brand with purpose, you don't have to do that. Um, you do that because you appreciate them. Um, but you come in and you share what it is, the DNA of your brand, why you exist. And then it gives you grace. It does give you like a cut through that other brands don't have. And so I would say that that's the greatest thing that you can do is to, to demonstrate to those sales associates that this brand aligns with their own personal values. By aligning with this brand, you're actually furthering, you're bettering the world. This is your contribution to the world. Now, how many brands can go and do that with their heart on their hand? How can you? You know, well, they like, try. You know what goes into the manufacturing. <laughs> yeah, they try. Yeah, and they have a beautiful product, which is gets, which is what gets them through. But imagine marrying a beautiful product with a beautiful story, mm. um, oh, something that's real and authentic. And then you've got, then you've got a recipe um, for success. And but to be honest, getting that beautiful product is one of the hardest parts. Um, how do you design something in a timeline that's relevant in the market right then? And the, the quality is there. Um, that is hard that, that it's at the price point that those customers are willing to pay. Um, they're, they're all really big challenges that you face and that's the day-to-day of business and hustling. Are you going to be a part of sales? How are we going to supply and make sure there's enough brand awareness that when we deliver this product to Nordstrom, it sells through? Because if it doesn't get the right sell-through rate, they don't reorder. Yeah. So there's a risk in launching brands too soon. And to be honest, we launched our brand too soon in a number of big department stores. And surprisingly, we, we are still there. But I say it's only because they mm. want this brand to succeed because of the impact that they get to have as a result of selling it. That's really interesting. It's And it, there, there's so much about that that's great to hear. Firstly, just the overarching passion for it is amazing. Um, but also, and I've talked in a previous episode of this about um, you know, my affiliation with brick and mortar and some of the conversations I've had where people say, you know, had I done it again, I would have just gone online sales. But for me, I, I like to hear that you've had positive res- uh, responses from that because there's a romanticism with brick and mortar store. There is something about going in and interacting with the product and seeing it there yeah. and the joy of shopping for something as well. So, And I've been scared of it. I've been like, I don't think we should wait. I think we should build our brand identity and then like we want, you know, and we want them to want us. So yeah. that we're not like pushing it, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a, I think there's a certain amount of um, hustle that's required as well. You know, like um, you know, think about retailers; they're they're hit every five minutes with somebody wanting their brand to be sitting on their shelves. Um, but um, don't overlook specialty stores. Specialty stores are the. I love specialty stores. You know, there's one here where we're in the Gold Coast Inland where I live, and our H- HQ is and. Um, but in, on James street in Burley, there's this awesome new store called James and West and, um, they sell through our product. They are pumping our product out. It's an owner operator. Um, they do an amazing job of curating product, um, for their customer and it just walks out the door. Um, you know, if, if you can find just a few specialty stores that you can build really strong relationship with that aligns with your brand. I think that's a really good way to dip your toe into the um, into the bricks and mortar retail world or into your wholesale business um, without like <laughs> you're really jumping in the deep end when you jump in with David Jones, oh, Myers, yeah. North Bloomingdale. You know, like it's 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 there's a lot now. Our experience with these guys is they they're really really quite 
forgiving for what I was told. It was going to be very cutthroat. It hasn't been as cutthroat as I expected. So, um, you know, I, I think there is merit there as well. But absolutely, um, specialty stores is what can build your business. Yeah, and that's that's the shopping experience I, I love as well is those yeah. stores. We've got some beautiful ones here in Melbourne where they curate amazing products and the experience yeah. on the whole, and it elevates your brand, especially if you're a new brand. You go into these stores, yeah. you're leveraging what they've already achieved and the experience that they've already created as well. The Climactic Collective, the podcast network by and for Australia's climate community, is launching a new group. Podcasters declare a climate and biodiversity emergency. It's great to see architects and city planners setting up industry-specific climate action groups. What these groups actually do varies a lot between them, but they're all united by the shared belief and understanding we have to declare we're in an emergency footing and business as usual within our industries isn't good enough anymore. We can't just go to work and then do activism on the side or care about climate on the weekends. We have to make it part of everything because it's already affecting everything. And with your help, we can raise the volume for climate-engaged podcasts. Just get along to podcastersdeclare.com to find out more. The Climactic Collective. So one thing I then wanted to ask a little bit about is the... I suppose the range of products you have and the amount of products that you offer. So at the moment, if you go onto your online store, I think you've, you know, you've got sort of under 10 in the men's range and around 20 to 25 in the women's range, which I would say, you know, if you're looking at other companies, that's a fairly streamlined product offering, which actually is similar to what we want to do is we want to have quite a small product offering where we think very carefully about what we're putting out there. Um, we're not getting too caught up in the seasonality of fashion. We're trying to make things a little bit more evergreen and have a bit more of a slower approach. Um, and of course, yeah. budget. You know, we can't afford to launch with. It's amazing well, how like smaller SKU ranges. We've already like spent <laughs> our initial budget. We're like, oh, okay, it's gone. So yeah, is there a reason? I suppose for yeah. your um, yeah, is there a reason for your product offering being that size? Is that come of trying bigger and smaller, or is there? Yeah, what's the thinking behind that? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, we're actually in the middle of a transition right now where we'll go from having around 70 SKUs to over 200. And so, um, you know, you see it's it's the, um, I guess, the uh, production space that we have available. It's the design, um, the, I guess, ability that we've had in the past um, to create that stuff. Um, but we've, throughout this period um, of 2020 we we invested into design we invest into design and and perfecting product and you know we're starting to see those products come through um, as being products that will last longer um, you know they are more considered um, we, we like to think about if we design a product that it's going to be able to stay in that person's wardrobe and that they're going to want to pull it out in another five years time and wear it again um, you know it, that's really important. And so the methodology, I guess, behind what you see there right now is probably um, based on ability and uh, that would be the extent of it. And then what you'll see within the, the coming months, which is, again, for us also, it's not about season. Um, it's, you know, we're trying to really break that cycle as well for good reason. 
Um, and every every second month, we drop new products into the line and just keep it rotating. And it's a benefit for our staff, you know, because it means that it's not these highs and lows. It's more consistent. It's more predictable. Um, gives them more confidence in what the future looks like for themselves and being able to rely on these kinds of incomes. So um, there's a lot that goes into making a decision like that. But for us, it's um, probably moving away from what you'd see in the slow fashion world as traditional less is more and going into as long as it's very well considered, we want to be able to offer more of our products. So if they're buying a pair of jeans, we want them to buy a T-shirt or a blouse or a jacket or a skirt. Um, how do we increase that lifetime value of every one of the customers that we we now have? Right. And from like your original product skew, like did it change a lot from where you originally had it? Like were you like, we're going to do two guys' jeans and two girls' jeans or because at the moment – because we have such a like kind of limited skew count with our starting off budget. Like I've done a unisex jean, which I mean is lucky because I feel like it's on trend right mm. now. And women wearing Levi's 501s and that kind of fits. I'm kind of playing on that aspect and going to show people how to style it. Yeah. If you wear it as a man or a woman. Yeah. But then I'm thinking, yeah. looking at even your skew count with a much more lean towards um, the femme market. Like ideally we were like, I'm ha- I'm quite a masculine person too so I'm, like, I'm happy to design like kind of masculine wear and like we'll wear it unisex and that kind of thing but do you find that a lot more of a consumer base is female and you've had to kind of push the product in that direction and definitely like like percentage wise like is that how it's that's how it's kind of grown into what it is now yeah it's grown into what it is because 80 percent of our customers are female um you know so you know we provide 80 percent of what we probably have is is skewed that way but um, you know, a lot of that comes down to the fact too that we haven't put a lot of effort in the men. Um, you know, the, every now and again, you got to remember that we we make and sell men's jeans, so we should probably shoot uh, some guy wearing them. You know, um, <laughs> but I, I think um, the <laughs> the unisex um, the unisex jean is is awesome. I think it's um, uh, it's definitely something that yeah, I can see that that will work um, at the moment right now. Yeah. Um, so. You know, it makes sense for a, for a brand starting out um, to be producing those kinds of um, products. Another thing I wanted to ask was actually about distributing directly. So do you actually distribute your product and seed it directly from offshore or do you bring it here and distribute? Yeah, um, we we have a warehouse in um, Los Angeles and so we, right. we ship product over there. Um, uh, at- 3PL, when I say warehouse, we don't own a warehouse over there. We um, use a third-party logistics uh, company that, that own their warehouse and, and store our products. But, um, um, and, then, and then we do the same in the UK. And um, we also have a warehouse in Brisbane that we use to distribute our product as well. So um, I think today, um, you know, the margins are so tight. Um, to be able to use the the traditional distribution methods of having a distributor taking you into a region, um, and and then them selling it or them an agency then selling it, um, it just cuts into the, the cake too much. Um, so using a three PL is probably what I think is the only way forward. Um, mm. What it does mean for your business is obviously there's more to do. Um, you've got to be managing the sales, and so you might bring a sales agency on to manage those sales for you, but. You know, ultimately starting out, like, um, yeah, it's the garage, you know, and, yeah. and, and, then, <laughs> and then you'll rent a small shed and you'll warehouse it yourself and then it'll be big enough for a 3PL and you'll get rid of the headache of having to pick and pack um, products every every morning. So yeah. um, 
it's quite an easy transition today. Um, we, I love the idea of things being in house. I just, I, I'm just geared that way. I'd rather it be here. I'd rather have a warehouse. I'd rather oversee that. But um, you know, the further into it you go, you got to, you've got to partner with real professionals in these different areas and um, using a three PL that's set up for um, that kind of distribution is just, it just makes too much sense. It's cheaper in the long run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I love that. You know, I love you thinking back there. I can see, I can see you thinking back nostalgically as well to the days of starting it off and storing it in the garage or into the shed. Yeah, um, which which then goes yeah, into yeah. my next section, I suppose, of what I wanted to talk about, which is a little bit about becoming a fashion entrepreneur. Which is, you know, and I know that wasn't your history beforehand. It certainly isn't mine. Um, so I'm going through a similar thing. Um, and I saw a quote the other day, actually listening to another podcast that says a smart man learns from his mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of other people. So with, with that in mind, what were the mistakes that you made in the first 12 months that you would pass on? Well, my gosh, where do I start? Um, man, mistakes I made. One of the biggest, most surprising mistakes might be that, um, you know, overpaying. Um, you know, I, I just pitied these people i pitied them and it wasn't helpful i saw them and i'm just like your heart breaks and you hear the needs and you're like i've got to meet that need i need to and i was making myself into god you know who am i like Mm. um obviously there's there's areas where i I should and i could help but but ultimately um it was and it wasn't in the first year it was over a period of years i learned um that if i really wanted to help these people um, I wasn't going to meet the needs. I was going to offer the framework for them to meet their own needs, for them to be successful on their own. It's the greatest lesson I've learned. The other one I um, I wouldn't say was just because of the fir- in the first 12 months, I'm still learning it because every time you do fail, um, you, you hate it. <laughs> it's not comfortable. Um, but I'd probably say... Um, Yes, a wise man probably learns from other people's mistakes, but we're taught today that failure um, shouldn't happen, that failure is what we know as failure. Um, I, would, I would say that failure is necessary. I would say that um, if you want to make it, then you need to learn how to fail too. You need to ha- learn how to lose gracefully. You need to learn how to get back up off the ground. Um, learning from other people's mistakes, yeah, you don't you don't develop the grit. You don't develop yeah. what's needed to be able to make it. And um, you just need to fail. Not on purpose. You try to succeed, but when you <laughs> fail, know that you're one step closer to succeeding. I just want to take a quick break to let you know that if you stick around to the end of this episode, I'm going to be doing a new section, which is giving a tip of the week, which comes off the back of the conversation that we're having. I figure we're all absorbing so much from these conversations, and I've had these conversations sometimes a little bit before they get broadcast, so I just want to let you know if there's a tip or an action point or something that you can apply to your day today that I've taken away from this conversation, and maybe I've even been trying recently as well. My goal here is to make sure that these conversations provide value to everybody. I'm learning so much. I hope that all of you listening are learning a lot as well, but I really want to make these tangible. I want you to be able to take action from these and apply them into your business or into your projects or whatever it is that you're working on. So stick around at the end and listen to the tips of the week. So 
so I'm not sure if this question was actually passed over to you. Um, I did put it in an email beforehand. So it might be putting you on the spot or you might have had a chance to think. Um, but I wanted to ask you, and it's something I've asked every guest on the podcast for the last few episodes, is if you were able to post a Facebook status that would be front and center of every member's news feed for the next 24 hours, what would you post? Poor. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll let you have a think I'm, about it. <laughs> I'm, I am so hopeless um, at the social media thing. I always think I need to learn how to do this. I need to get get into it. But um, I'm probably too self-conscious of what I write. I'm scared I'm going to get crucified. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I would want to challenge people. What I would say, um, oh, gosh, I don't know the words, but um, I would want people to be challenged um, yeah. that – whatever clever words we could put together into a sentence that made them feel like they have the power to create the change. you know, that's what I would want, you know, bigger than my brand, bigger than, bigger than my cause. Um, ultimately the underlying thing is for people to realize who they are when they realize how incredible they are and the ability that they have, that they're created for this much greater purpose than I think most of us really believe of ourselves. I think then people can, and they can dream like that anything's possible, you know, and I don't know how to say that, but if I could do that in one sentence, I would want, I would want to inspire people to, to just be able to dream, you know, and, and chase it and make the world better because it's ultimately up to us. We're stewarding it. So uh, it's, that's a really, that's a really great way to put it. And I think it's, it's awesome as well because in everything, you know, obviously I've done pre-research and looked into the history of Outland and everything that you've been working on and talking to you today is I can see that you've actually lived by that mantra as well to yourself as you've, you've chased something, you've been through the ups and downs of it, the hard times, the transitions from nonprofit to profit, you know, investment rounds to donations and everything that comes with it. Um, but you're, you're yeah. fighting for something that is bigger than yourself. So I can definitely see that that's where that's coming from. And that's a, that's an awesome message. Thank you. So tell us then what does the next 12 months for Outland look like? You know, we, you've talked about that you're going to be growing to over 200 SKUs there and things are going to be expanding in terms of product. What should be people looking out for? Yeah, I think it looked, one of the exciting things over the next 12 months is the introduction of ready to wear. Um, bringing in in these other products which we've been working on for quite a while and you know we're quite excited to bring it to the market um you know we're taking on we produce for another brand called karen walker we manufacture for her and um that's huge and I didn't know that. Yeah, and, yeah and so just just really expanding uh, hopefully our manufacturing um ability at the moment we're saying no to brands um but you say ultimately yes to we want to partner with <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the MOQs? We'll have the we'll have the chat. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that is an interesting question. Uh, maybe I'll t- maybe I'll ask you after about MOQs. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's a bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> no, look. I, I mean, I think those things are really interesting. Is that you know when we talk about um, manufacturing for other brands, you know, I meet people all the time, like yourselves, and I go, "It's awesome what you're wanting to do with your brand," and you know, you it's clear you have a genuine desire to. In, to better the world. And so that's who we want to work with. Um, but then you come into the making it um, viable and um, MOQs come into it. And that's where then you end up with having to go with these bigger players. And so it's unique to meet people um, or brands like Karen Walker and just see how 
um, how they are so genuine about this, but they're a little, they're well, a lot further down the road in as far as, you know, the volumes that they're producing. And mm-hmm. so how do you bridge that gap? I guess that's something that I think about a lot is how do, how do you bridge the gap so that we can be making for you so that your impact is even stronger than it already will be, you know, um, as at the same time in producing for a Karen Walker or whoever else. Um, so ultimately the impact is had when we partner. Collaboration is the future. Um, we're seeing quite interesting collaborations in the marketplace at the moment, you know, with brands that you'd never expect to see. I think I saw Allbirds and Adidas or someone not so long ago. And, you know, really cool to see to see that happening. You know, how how different is that? You know, it'd be like us um, collaborating with, with New or, you know, one of these other brands. Um, and, and I think that that's an exciting part, collaborating with you guys to produce your clothing and um, your – furthering the impact that we're able to have by choosing to produce with us. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I ran into uh, when I, when I first started researching to do this brand, I looked at doing it onshore and offshore and I did all the comparisons and pricings and it was just, I would end up having to import the fabric to Australia anyway, and then combine that with the CMT and the pattern making costs. I was like, it's just not viable for our budget. So it was interesting that like I was kind of forced to go offshore when like, I mean, and, and also it's an interesting consumer um, view of, things offshore aren't done as well and they i don't know there's another massive political conversation i could go into about that but yeah, yeah i'd be interested to see kind of what you're doing there with other brands yeah well we we need to stay in touch and keep you know keep an eye out and we'll do the same and send yeah if you have a request send it over we'll just be yes we can or no we can't so <laughs> with cherry awesome yeah. yeah well before we dive too much into um just now having a sort of functional business conversation i think we'll wrap up the uh, the formal interview from there um but i actually i i just want to tie off before i close you know press stop on record that it's really interesting because this is exactly why this podcast exists it's you know it's great to give you a platform to talk about your brand which i really love and admire and you've got an amazing message to share as well and i hope lots of people get to hear this and then from our side, it's all part of getting in front of people that we might not have otherwise been able to grab an hour and have a chat. Um, so it's just, you know, this is a reaffirmation sure. for anybody who's listening that it's about opening up and, you know, getting into these conversations and seeing how people are willing to collaborate. It's exactly as you say, collaboration oh. is becoming the key part of this industry, especially for those of us who are trying to do it with more ethics, with more purpose and with a better cause. Um, so, yeah, certainly don't be afraid to reach out and collaborate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, James. Well, I will hit stop on record. So um, thanks very much for being a part of the show today. There's some great gems there. As we were talking through that and some of the things you were saying, I was just hearing all of the quotes that I can pull out to plug this episode. It's been <laughs> it's been genuinely inspiring. So really appreciate your time. Oh, so good to so good to spend the time with you guys as well. Cool. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank Cheers. You. So as I mentioned in one of the breaks of the show, at the end of the episode, I'm going to be doing a little bit of a tip of the week. We're just giving some insights, effectively recapping on what we've heard. But I really, as I say, want to make sure that this is providing you value. And if I find after a while that these tips, or maybe even next episode, I think these tips are going to be valuable, then I'll bump this to the beginning of the episode before we get into the interview, or maybe even take a break during the show. So this is a little bit of a roundabout one, but for this first tip of the week, I want to say that my absolute 
put it into action, go to tip is reach out and ask. And that is effectively not just related to today's episode, but everything that I've been doing so far on this podcast. I'm so surprised that eight episodes in, and to be honest, in the first couple of episodes with barely anybody listening, people are keen. People are happy to come and be part of this. They want to have the conversation. They want to spread the word of their brand, but it's not just selfish reasons. They genuinely want to help you as well. And that's what I have found so rewarding about this process so far. Someone like James is a successful, busy dude, but he was happy to take an hour out of his week and sit down with me and Ash. And to be honest, if you've just heard that conversation, there are times there where we're really just, you know, we're having a conversation as if he's there to help us out and to be a little bit of a consultant. He's giving us guidance. But the conversation just naturally flows that way. And people are happy to help, especially when you're working in something like an ethical business. Everyone knows that phrase, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And that's what's happening here. We need to help each other. We need to provide that support. And I really hope that even what I'm doing here is providing other people with support. And maybe six, 12 months down the line when No Skin's developed more and this podcast has developed more and people come to me and they reach out with questions, then I can pass on these favors. You know, it's, it's almost like the pay it forward concept. I really want to make sure that everything that I'm getting and all the insights I'm getting they're being passed on as well. And that's the reason for this podcast being. So just to circle back around to the tip, I just really want to reinforce, ask people, ask for help. Yeah, you might get shut down. And yeah, some people are going to say, no, I don't want to be on your podcast or you haven't got enough listeners yet or anything like that. But that's fine. Like everybody's in their own part of their journey. And I'm sure they'll circle back around and be able to help at some time. And if not, then maybe they didn't have the kind of advice that you want to receive anyway. So again, just reach out and ask. LinkedIn is an amazing tool. You know, you can get hold of anybody on Instagram. That's how I get a lot of the guests for this podcast. I find an Instagram account of a brand that really inspires me. I just reach out and then we carry on the conversation and we line something up. You know, I think for the first 10 episodes of this show, I've had two people who have said that they're not able to be a guest. That's a huge success rate to get something out, especially in the early stages. And it's been a great boost of confidence. It's been a great opportunity to speak to people. So once again, reach out and ask for help. We're all in this together. We're all trying to make ethical business or just ethical, sustainable living more prevalent. And the only way we can do that is by working together. So my tip of the week is reach out. So I hope you found that helpful. And as we go on, I'll be providing more insights and I'll be learning more and providing more. So keep an ear out. And on the next episode, you're going to hear me speaking to Morella, who is the founder of Mech Studio, an amazing ethical design studio. So keep an eye out for that one. Don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you next time.